Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. And uh, this morning, we're starting a new sermon series that we have entitled Force of Nature. And uh, everybody say Force of Nature. And force of nature is a phrase uh, uh, that is a figure of speech that talks about something that is powerful, something that is unstoppable, something that is uncontainable. And uh, for the next several weeks, we're going to look at uh, the life of Moses and some miraculous events that took place in his life that really reveal the power of God on a dramatic level. And I believe that this is so important today because if we're not careful, we'll lose sight of just how powerful and how big our God really is. And a lot of times in life, our problems are big and our situation is big, but we forget about how great our God is. One author put it this way. He said, the problem in the church today is that man, the creature, is big in the church and God, the creator, is small. And I love what the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. And there is nothing. Everybody say nothing. There is nothing too hard for thee. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad that there is nothing too hard for my God. So we're going to talk about God's power and uh, his his unstoppable and uncontainable uh, nature in this series. In Exodus chapter number 3, God reveals himself to Moses in a powerful and yet personal way. And a very familiar story, but I believe that uh, God has uh, some truth in this passage that he wants us to glean and learn this morning. And the title of my message today is, Take a Closer Look. Take a Closer Look. So let's look at Exodus chapter number 3, and uh, we'll start reading in verse number 1. The Bible says this, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert. And he came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in the flame of fire. Everybody say fire. fire. Out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. And he said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes, off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of, of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land unto a good land. Everybody say a good land. A good land and a large, a large land unto a land flowing with milk and honey and unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Verse number nine. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I? Everybody say, Who am I? Who am I? He says, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, 
and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I am come unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Thy God of your fathers hath, the God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Let's have a word of prayer together. Lord, thank you for this day you've given us, and uh, God, thank you for this opportunity to uh, worship you today, and uh, God, thank you for your word, and uh, God, thank you that it is perfect and infallible and inspired, and God, this morning as we uh, spend time together, we're not just uh, listening in on what I think or what I have to say, but God, ultimately, we want to hear from you. God, I pray that you would speak to us in a great way today, and uh, we love you in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. How many of you enjoy watching fireworks? Can I see your hands? You enjoy watching fireworks? The city that I grew up in, fireworks were, were illegal. And so uh, my perception of a fireworks show has been somewhat limited my whole life. And, you know, we would always kind of get, get around the family at the house. We would kind of have a small fireworks show. And, and uh, that's what I was used to. And then I moved to the city of Fontana. <laughs> And uh, I realized that Fontana loves fireworks, right? It's a whole new world. And uh, I was scared to death on my first 4th of July. We were driving through the city, and I'm like, whoa, you know, this is like a war zone. I'm, I'm driving through. And, and I remember last year we were at some friend's house. We were having a great time, and it was getting time to go. And you know what's bad? When I'm coming up with a strategy to get my family back to the car, I'm like, all right, uh, Katie, you take Blakely. You go first, and I'll kind of bring up the rear with Liv and Luke. We're going to make it. It's going to be okay, you know. And fire is... A fascinating thing because fire is one of the only elements in the world that is both inviting and yet terrifying at the same time. And it's interesting that when God decides to show up in the book of Exodus and when God decides to reveal himself to Moses in the book of Exodus, he does so as a flame of fire. And Moses is both intrigued and terrified. See, we have to understand that God is loving and he is kind and he is inviting, but God is also holy, just, and righteous. And all throughout history and all throughout scripture, uh, fire is often used as an emblem of deity. And, uh, and when we learn about God's holiness and God's glory and God's power through uh, fire, and God shows up in Exodus and he reveals himself to Moses in this powerful and dramatic way. And the Bible tells us this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 9, for our God is a consuming fire. And so God shows up to Moses here in Exodus chapter number 3, and, and uh, of course the nation of Israel there under bondage in, in Egypt. And, and uh, just to provide a little bit of context, we know that uh, Joseph was uh, sold into slavery by his brothers, and he was actually promoted in the land of Egypt, and he was second in command in all of Egypt, and Pharaoh really uh, uh, favored Joseph, ultimately, ultimately because uh, God favored Joseph, and Joseph found grace and favor in the sight of the Lord. And because of this, when the famine came, Joseph was able to save his entire family because of the providence of God. And, and so God was working through Joseph's life and through his family. Well, now, uh, as we come to Exodus chapter number 3, this is some 400 years later. And uh, there is a new Pharaoh in town, and he's thinking, what are all these Israelites doing here? And I don't like that they're growing in population. I need to do something about this. And so he uh, forces them into slavery. 
and uh, he decides to kill all of the Jewish firstborn. And, and this is a terrible uh, time for the Jewish people, and they're under bondage, and they're in slavery. And then God shows up in Exodus chapter number 3 in this miraculous event, in this flame of fire. And as big and powerful and momentous as this occasion was, Moses could have missed it. Because the Bible says as Moses was out in the desert, he was walking by and he saw a flame of fire and he saw the burning bush. But then the Bible tells us that he turned aside to see. What was he doing? He was taking a closer look. He, he, he did a double take. He turned back and said, what is this? I need, to, I need to take a closer look. And this morning, I believe that God wants to do something incredible in your life. I believe that God wants to do, to, to do the miraculous in your situation. But often, it begins with us taking a closer look. And this morning, maybe you're here. And you're thinking, well, I don't really know about all this. I don't know about Moses. I don't even know if I believe in God. I'm not really a religious person. I'm not sure I have some questions. I would encourage you today to take a closer look. Because one thing that's so great about our faith is we have a faith that we welcome questions. We do not have a faith that we have to try to hide from and say, oh, we, we don't answer any questions. No, we would encourage you to examine and to investigate what the Bible says and to come to some conclusions about who God is. And so here's Moses, and he sees this dramatic moment, this burning bush, this flame of fire where God is introducing and revealing himself. And here Moses takes a closer look. And so this morning what I'd like to do is I'd like to uh, examine uh, these verses together, and uh, I'd like to uh, break apart this, this section of Scripture and uh, learn how we can do just that, how we can take a closer look. So if you're taking notes this morning, notice four ways that we can do this. Number one. Consider the advantage of desert seasons. If you have a Bible, would you say amen? amen. Let's notice verse number one. If you don't have your Bible, we'll, we'll have them on this screen right here. Verse number one says this. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and he came to the mountain of God even to Horeb. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, directional observations were typically made from an eastward orientation. And what that means is that whenever there's a, a, dire a direction given in the Old Testament, uh, it, it means that they were uh, assuming that you were looking east. And so when the Bible says that this was the backside of the desert, if he was looking east, the backside would have been the west. And so Moses comes to the west side of the desert, and uh, he is in this uh, barren season. In fact, the word Horeb actually means desolation. It's interchangeable with Mount Sinai. It means a dry, or, uh, a dry place or a place of uh, desolation. How many of you have ever been on a road trip? and you were driving through the middle of nowhere, and you passed through a town, and you just thought, I'm just so glad that I don't live here. How many of you know what I'm talking about, okay? And uh, we've all been through those towns where you just try to step on the gas and get out of there as fast as we possibly can. Well, that's where Moses lived, okay? Moses was in a season of desolation. He was in a desert season, but I believe that in this desert season, God was trying to teach Moses some things. And I believe that this desert season uh, for Moses and for us this morning was, was two things in particular. It was, a time of, it was a time of preparation. Notice how it says in verse number one that Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Moses was a shepherd. Now, Moses being a shepherd was considered a lowly position for the Egyptians, for the Israelites. This was not a great grand position. And this would have been quite the transition for Moses because Moses grew up as the prince of Egypt. <laughs> 
Moses grew up uh, with, with a life of luxury and a life of ease, and he had all of the things that he could ever want, and now he is in the middle of the desert, and he could think, man, man, man what is God trying to teach me, and what is God having me out in this desert for? And he had kind of given up, and he kind of thought that he had failed, and he wasn't uh, good enough anymore. And what could have felt like God's punishment was actually God's preparation. God was saying, I'm going to teach you some great lessons through uh, this desert season in your life. The Bible says this in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse number 10. He, that's God, found him, that's referring to Israel, in a desert land. Everybody say a desert land. And in the waste, uh, howling wilderness, he led him about, and he instructed him, instructed him, and, and he kept him as the, as the apple of his eye. And so we learn that desert seasons are not about inconvenience. They are about instruction. God wants to teach us something and prepare us for something greater in a desert season. See, Moses didn't know it at this point, but he was getting ready to enter into another wilderness season and another desert season. This time, one small difference, he's going to be leading millions of people. So Moses didn't know it yet, but God had big plans for his life, and God was preparing him for something greater. And so if we have, uh, if we have a mind of maturity and, and a mind of spiritual understanding, we can see that when God has us in a desert season, that he's preparing us for uh, a bigger assignment. Arthur Pink, one commentator, said this, The colleges of this world cannot equip for the divine service, for that we must be taught in the school of God. The hand of man can, uh, cannot mold a vessel formed for the master's use. The one who is to use the vessel can alone prepare it. And so God is in the business of preparing his servants for a greater assignment. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 11 says this, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And so Moses is learning that this is a time of preparation, but this is also a time of great patience for Moses. Not only preparation, but also patience, because the Bible tells us in Acts chapter number 7, verse number 30, Stephen is preaching here in the New Testament and says this, and he's talking about Moses, and he says, When forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. And so what do we learn from Stephen's sermon? We learn that Moses was in this desert season in Midian for 40 years. Interestingly, Moses' life was compartmentalized by three sections uh, of uh, 40-year segments. And so he had 40 years as the prince of Egypt. He had 40 years in the desert in Midian. And then he had 40 years wandering in the wilderness, leading the children of Israel. But this was a, a prolonged season that Moses had to learn to be patient and to wait on God's timing, even when it didn't make sense. Uh, I read this week about uh, there's a wildly popular video game called Fortnite. Uh, how many of you have heard of Fortnite? Okay. And uh, how many of you have ever played Fortnite? Can I see your hands? I've never played it, uh, but I was reading about this, and it's a very popular game, and it's on all kinds of different platforms, PlayStation and all kinds of different things, uh, but it's not yet available for Android. And so I read this article where there are some internet scammers that are taking advantage of people's impatience wanting to get the game Fortnite for their Android device, and so they're putting out these fake YouTube videos and these fake advertisements saying, here, click here and, and download uh, uh, this game, and when they go and click there, they end up going to a different site, and it ends up automatically downloading another app, which they never wanted in the first place, and the article says this, because they are not willing to wait, this was an article about these scammers, because they are not willing to wait, what has happened is a vicious circle has been started. Every time the person tries to download the non-existent Fortnite, he or she is forced to download the unwanted and I thought about that, and I thought, how true is that when it comes to our spiritual lives? When we are not willing to wait on God's timing, 
and we're not willing to uh, wait for God to work and for God to move, and we rush in and try to do things on our own, we'll end up getting some things that we never wanted in the first place. And so Moses here is learning in this desert season that he must remain faithful and that he must just wait on God's timing and be patient in the season that God has him in. The Bible says in James 1, 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting Nothing. See, a trial, a desert season has a way of producing in us an endurance and a patience that we would never get otherwise. J.C. Ryle said this, Jesus hears us and in his own good time he will give us an answer. He may sometimes keep us long waiting, but he will never send us away empty. And so this morning, if you're going through a desert season, if you're going through a, a, a trial, a season of barrenness, if you're going through some sort of difficulty, maybe God is preparing you for something greater. Maybe he's trying to instill in you some patience that you need down the road. The Bible says this in Romans 12, verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. And so we have to consider the advantage of desert seasons. Notice number two this morning, how can we take a closer look? Number two, pay attention to how God's working. Pay attention to how God's working. Notice verse number two in our text this morning. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And so here the angel of the Lord appeared. And this is what theologians call a theophany or Christophany. This is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. So the angel of the Lord shows up. And I find two fascinating elements to this appearance and to this moment where God is revealing himself. I I see, first of all, that this was uh, the mundane. This happened in the mundane. It says this, that a fire out of the midst of a bush, a bush. Now, uh, we are familiar with this story, and so we kind of understand the story of the burning bush. But if we take a step back and kind of think about what's going on here, that God decided to reveal himself to Moses in this dramatic and powerful way. He chose a bush. In the Hebrew, it means a thorny shrub. And sometimes you might have seen pictures of this story maybe growing up in Sunday school or something, and it's like this big tree, and it's on fire. And really all it is is a small bush. And so when God decides to show up and reveal himself and to introduce himself to Moses, he does so in a very ordinary thing. He says, I'm going to use a bush. I'm going to use this, this thorny plant. This humble bush, Arthur Pink said this, this humble bush which possessed neither beauty nor comeliness became temporarily the abode of Jehovah. Why? God delights in using the ordinary. You might think, well, my job isn't that significant or my talent isn't that great as someone else's. I don't have a great position. I don't have a great family. I don't come from a great uh, background. My, my, my circumstances are pretty ordinary. And I want to tell you that God delights in using the ordinary to accomplish the extraordinary. God wants to do something big. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. See, when God wants to do the remarkable, he will often start with the regular. It's just the normal. You say, there's nothing special about my situation. Great, God can work in that situation. And so this was just a bush. It was just senna, the Hebrew word for thorny plant. This was just a small, insignificant, mundane thing, but that's what God chose to use to reveal his glory. And so we see the mundane, but then we also see the miraculous. 
Because the verse says, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And so although there was nothing special about the bush, what was happening to the bush was pretty spectacular. This was a force of nature. This was God's divine power at work. This bush was burning, but it was not consumed. It just wouldn't burn up. And this miraculous fire is symbolic of several different things. It's symbolic right now of the nation of Israel, that they are under bondage. They were being burned, you could say, but they would not be consumed because God would deliver them. It's a picture of the trials and uh, the temptations and the struggles that we face that the Bible tells us that will be bruised but not broken. We can go through the fire but not be consumed. The Bible says this, we are troubled on every side yet not distressed. We are perplexed but in not despair. Uh, Persecuted but not forsaken. Cast down but not destroyed. Is anybody thankful today that God will preserve us through these trials? Burned but not consumed. But ultimately, the greatest picture that we have here is of Jesus Christ. Because even though Jesus would be despised and rejected of men, and even though Jesus would be put on the cross, can I tell you today that Jesus rose again from the grave, defeating sin, death, and the grave once and for all. Hey, burned but not consumed. Jesus is always victorious. And so we see the mundane plant, but we see the miraculous that it was burned but not consumed. Now, I want you to see verse number three. It says this in verse three. And Moses said, I will now turn aside, and I love how Moses kind of gives a commentary on his own life. He just kind of, he kind of just says that a lot. I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. So Moses is walking along one day. Wow, that's interesting. By the way, uh, according to many commentators and historians, to see a bush burning in the desert like this was actually not that uncommon of a sight. Because of the heat, because of the different things going on, you could, you could be walking and see a bush that's burning. And so Moses was walking along, and he sees a bush, and he's like, wow, that's interesting. I will now turn aside to see this great sight. And he goes over and he he starts looking a little bit closer at this burning bush. What is he doing? He's getting a a close look. He's leaning in a little bit. You know, tragically, many times in our lives, the bush is burning, but we keep on walking. God's working. God wants to do something great, but we are content to just glance and keep on walking. Maybe today... God is trying to get your attention, and he wants you to take a closer look. Maybe today is not just a normal Sunday. Maybe this isn't just another sermon. Maybe God is saying, hey, take a closer look. I want to do something great in your life. I was reading about a race in Monaco, the Grand Prix, in 1950, and there was a renowned race car driver. His name was Juan Manuel Fangio, Juan Manuel and uh, he was uh, in this race, and everything was going well, and he kind of took off, and he was in first place, and he was far ahead of all the other competition, and, and uh, he was expected to win. And uh, as he was turning uh, one of the final turns of the race, way out in front of everybody else, um, what he did not know was that there was a major collision just around the corner, and many cars were uh, piled up, uh, an extremely dangerous and fatal crash, and, and uh, he was heading right towards it, and he couldn't see it. And so everyone was worried, what's going to happen to Juan Manuel? He's about to make this turn, and, and uh, what, what's going to happen to him? And amazingly, Juan Manuel Fangio was driving, and he slowed down, and he came to a stop right before the crash that he couldn't see. And after the race, everyone was asking, what, what happened? How did you know? How did you know to save your life by not uh, rounding that corner, and how did you know to do it? And this is what he said. He said this, I was leading, but the crowd was not watching me. They were looking down the road. Instead of their faces, I was seeing the back of their heads, so I knew that something was more interesting than the leader. 
as he was driving, he was looking, and he noticed that the people in the stands, the crowd, were actually looking down the road. They were looking ahead a little bit, and because he perceived the crowd and because of his perception and because he was able to take a closer look, it ended up saving his life. I just want to tell you this morning that God wants to do the incredible in your life. He wants to save your marriage. He wants to save your children. He wants to do something great in your life, but often we have to take a closer look and see what God is doing. We have to be willing to turn aside to see. I love what the Bible says in James. James 1.25, it says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. I, I love that verse. It says, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty. That 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 law of liberty, that is the word of God. And James, the pastor at Jerusalem, was saying, hey, take a close look at the word of God. In fact, if you study the etymology of the word looketh, it literally means to stoop down and to get on your knees and to take a close look and to really get into the word of God and really say, what is God trying to teach me here? And what is God trying to communicate with me here? See, many times we are content to simply glance at the word of God when God has called us to gaze into the word of God. See, many times we come to the word of God and we're expecting a blessing, but God wants us to extract the blessing and to take a close look and see what is God trying to teach me through his word. We have to be willing to take a closer look, to really spend time in the word of God, to really pay attention to the word of God and to pay attention to what God is trying to teach us. And so Moses, he, he, he turns aside and he sees, notice the next verse, verse number four. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. So God noticed. By the way, when you pursue God and when you decide to take a closer look in your Bible reading, in your prayer life, in your church attendance, in your service for the Lord, when you decide to take a closer look, God will notice. The Lord saw that he turned aside to see. God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. And isn't it interesting that uh, the calling from Moses simply came as a result of his curiosity? Moses was just curious at, at this great sight, and he turned to see. And so God called unto him out of the midst of the bush, and, and he said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And so God rewarded the fact that Moses took a closer look. The Bible says in Proverbs eight seventeen, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Hebrews eleven six says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When you take a closer look, God says, watch me open uh, the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon your life. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so he took a closer look. But I want you to notice the third element this morning, number three. We have to rest in the revelation of who God is. Rest in the revelation of who God is. If you're still with me today, would you say amen? amen? Verse number five. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Now this was speaking to the necessary reverence and respect that, that God's holiness requires. And uh, even in oriental, oriental customs today, if you go to certain restaurants or places, it's common to take your shoes off as a sign of respect. And so God tells Moses, hey, the place where you're standing is holy ground. Remove your shoes out of reverence. And, and this, there's a great lesson to be learned here because many times we rush into God's presence and we start making demands and things that we want. And God says, first, give me your reverence. First, give me the adoration that I deserve. And so Moses is on holy ground. And here God reveals himself to Moses. He introduces himself to Moses. And this is one of the most uh, powerful uh, sections in all of Scripture where God is revealing himself and introducing himself in a great, dramatic 
powerful way. And I want you to see three things that God is saying to Moses. First of all, he's saying, I am aware. Everybody say aware. aware. Notice verse 6. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. This was um, an intense scene, verse number 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. God was saying, hey, Moses, let me tell you a little bit about my character. Let me tell you about who I am. I am completely aware of what's going on in your situation. I'm completely aware of what's going on with my people. I've seen it. I've heard it. I know everything there is to know about it. And I want to tell you this morning that God knows exactly what you're going through. He knows every thought that you have had, every tear that you've cried, every burdensome moment. God knows it all. He is completely aware of what you are going through. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God knows it all. He is completely aware. He is completely omniscient. Several months ago, I ordered a package from UPS, and uh, I was tracking it on my phone, and I realized that uh, it was delivered. It said delivered, and so I was excited, and so I was out of town. The next day, I came, and I, I was looking around for the package, and I didn't, didn't see it anywhere. And I was like, man, this isn't good. So I checked the side, and I, I checked my backyard. Maybe they put it back there, and I couldn't find it anywhere. And so I thought, this is, uh, this is terrible. Somebody stole my package. And so I was upset, and so I went and uh, the same day, and I bought a, uh, a video camera for my doorbell. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about, the little uh, uh, doorbell cameras? And so I thought, now I'm going to know if somebody tries to steal my package. I got it, and I installed it. The next day, I found out that my neighbor actually just grabbed it for me, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but now I have this, uh, this doorbell, this video camera at my house, and it's nice because I don't even have to be there, but I'm aware of what's going on at my house. And if somebody comes, if there's motion, it'll... it'll detect me, and I've got some great pictures from it. I, I caught Daniel the other day. He was kind of just looking through uh, my window, <laughs> just peeking through. I caught Dennis the other day. He was coming over for small group, bringing some pizza. <laughs> Thank you, Dennis. That was awesome. But now, because of that camera, I'm always aware. I know what's going on. And how encouraging is it to know that God is so great. Great is his understanding. His understanding is infinite. Whatever you're going through, God knows. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That means that God knows your pain. He knows what you're going through. He's experienced it himself. God is aware, and he was telling Moses, hey, I know. Sometimes it's comforting when someone just says, hey, I know what you're going through. God says, I'm aware. But then he even takes it a step further, and he says, not only am I aware, I am active. I love what he says in the next verse. Notice verse number eight. I love this. I am come down. He says, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. But I just love that little phrase there in verse number eight. He says, I am come down. God says, not only am I aware of what's going on in your situation, but I'm also active. I'm going to come down and deliver my people. I will personally be involved in the delivery process. I am come down. And my friends, I want to tell you today that this is a great picture of the incarnation. 
that God loved us so much that he sent his son to come down and to seek and to save that which was lost. Is anybody thankful today that he came and lived a perfectly sinless life and then he went to the cross? Why? Because he loved you that much. Because not only is he aware, he is active. And he comes down. And God was telling Moses, I'm going to be involved in this. I want to tell you today, God wants to be involved in your life. God is always working. Even when we can't see it, God is always working behind the scenes. He is active. I love what Matthew 1.23 says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. He came down. We have the presence of God. He is with us. So he was saying, I am aware. I am active. And then he goes on in a most powerful statement. He says, I am that I am. Notice verse number 14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And in the Hebrew language, this is what's called a, a, a tetragram. It's in the Hebrew uh, language, it's four letters. And uh, it's where we get our word translated Yahweh or Jehovah. It is the personal name for God. It means that he is self-existent, that he's eternally existent. He is the all-powerful, um, immutable, unchanging God. And uh, most of the time when we see this word in the Hebrew in our Bibles, it's, it's seen as uh, the word Lord in all caps. How many of you in your Bible, you've seen the word Lord in all caps? That is the personal uh, name for God, Yahweh, Jehovah. It was so uh, sacred to the Jews that they wouldn't even speak this name. They were so worried about taking God's name in vain that they wouldn't say Yahweh, and then when they came to that name, they would replace it with Adonai, which also means Lord, because they, they respected uh, this name so much. It's a powerful name for God. I am that I am. And when we fast forward to the New Testament with the life of Jesus, we even get a little bit deeper understanding of what this phrase means, I am that I am, because we think he's going to say something after, like I am fill in the blank. Like in my life, I would say I am a father, I am a pastor, I am a husband, and we think God's going to say I am something, but he says I am that I am. And there were seven times when Jesus said I am. And I love these statements. When you need provision, he says I am the bread of life. When you are in darkness, he says, I am the light of the world. When you are seeking after God, he says, I am the door. When you, need, when you need love and protection, he says, I am the good shepherd. When you need salvation from sin, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. When you desire a home in heaven, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When you desire spiritual fruit, he says, I am the vine. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is that whatever you need, Jesus says, I am. He is the great I am. And we must find our satisfaction and our fulfillment in who God is. He is the great I am. Psalm 8, verse number 1 says this, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who hath set the glory above the heavens. Aren't you thankful for the great I am this morning? I want to notice one final thought, and we'll be done. Number four, learn to override feelings of inadequacy. This morning we're talking about taking a closer look and seeing how God is working and how God is moving. And we have to rest in the revelation of who God is, that he is the great I am. But we have to learn to override feelings of inadequacy. Because up until this point, I'm sure Moses was thinking, man, this is amazing. 
like, this is awesome. Okay, the great I am, and, and he's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and, and uh, he's going to provide a new land flowing with milk and honey. Like, this is, I can't believe this is amazing. Like, like, just imagine the scene for a second. Moses is sitting there. The bush is still burning. He's like, first of all, how is that bush still burning? Second of all, this is an amazing announcement, God, that you're giving me. This is, this is incredible. You're going to deliver your people. This is awesome. This is great. And then we see verse number 10. God says, come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh. God says, yeah, this is great news, Moses, and guess what? I'm going to send you to be my spokesperson. And Moses is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. This was great news, but me? You're going to choose me? God, I don't know if you know, but my past is a little bit messed up. I don't know if you know, God, but the reason I'm in the desert in the first place is because I killed a guy. I'm a murderer. God, I'm an orphan. I'm a stutterer. I'm an outcast. Moses is like, I don't know if I have the greatest resume, God. I don't know if I can do this. And he starts to be overcome with this feeling of inadequacy. I don't know if I have it in me. He says, who am I? See, Moses did not have an insecurity problem. Moses had an identity problem. Acts 7, verse 22. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in in deeds. Isn't it interesting that Moses, his perception of himself was, I'm not good enough. But when Stephen describes him, he says, he was mighty in words and in deeds. Maybe this morning you're doing better than you think you are. You need to stop listening to uh, what everybody else has to say and start listening to what God has to say about us. Because your inadequacy just might be making room for God's sufficiency. So Moses says, who am I? We learn about Moses was doubting his past, and he didn't feel like he was up for the task. But then we learn about God's presence in verse number 12. He says this, and he said, certainly I will be with thee. God was saying, let me give you the greatest encouragement that you need in this moment, Moses. I will be with thee. I'm going to go with you every step of the way. He promises his presence along the way, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. And when thou hast brought forth the people out out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. God says, my presence will accompany you along the way. See, our problem this morning is not the reality of God's presence. Our problem is the recognition of God's presence. Knowing that God is with us, that he dwells with us. Isaiah 43, verse number 2 says this, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And when through the rivers, uh, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. And I want to tell you, the same promise that God gave Moses is the same promise that God gives you. He says, hey, wherever you go, I will be with you. He gives us an assignment, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Is anybody thankful that God is always with us? Even to the end of the world, he is with us. God's presence will never leave us. Now, Moses here could now do what he could not do on his own because God was by his side. God was with him. Everybody say with him. A couple of months ago, a couple of weeks ago now, I guess, was the royal wedding. Anybody uh, watch the royal wedding? Anybody? How many of you were interested in some capacity of the royal wedding? Okay. Um, There was a lot of media coverage with the royal wedding, a lot of different things taking place around uh, this wedding. And I saw a really interesting picture uh, that I thought was so fascinating. It was of Meghan Markle. And uh, she was visiting Buckingham Palace when she was 15 years old. I think we have a picture. 15 years old, she was visiting Buckingham Palace. Can you imagine if Meghan Markle walked up to the front gate and said, hey, can I come in? 
I thought I'd just kind of come in and have lunch today and maybe I can just stop by. They would say, of course, no. <laughs> you cannot come in. You are not allowed access. But now, today, Meghan Markle can go to the Buckingham Palace whenever she wants, right? We have another picture, I think. Why? What, what made the difference? She has a new relationship. She's married to the prince. So now when she walks to Buckingham Palace, she can say, I'm with him. I'm with him. Guess what? She can go whenever she wants. And I want to tell you that that is the same message for the believer today, that we can have access to God's presence. We can have access to God. We can have access to heaven. Why? We're with him. We're with Jesus. That is the gospel. That is the message of the gospel, that we're with Jesus. And now we have access because of what Jesus did on the cross. When you encounter the presence of God, when you encounter the presence of God, you will experience the power of God. But often it starts with us taking a closer look. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.